Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, we wanted to make sure to tell y'all to head on over to our Twitter and Instagram at But Why Though PC or our Facebook, facebook.com slash But Why Though PC. That way you can send us your fan But Why Those. Why are you part of a fandom? Why does it matter to you? We want to know and we want to put it up on our website. But if you're looking to support us a little bit more, head over to our Patreon. There you'll get exclusive content, access to your research notes, and even episodes a day to two days early. And if you subscribe at the $3 level, you'll get some merch. But at the end of the day, we're happy just to have you here listening to us. So share us with your friends, share us with your coworkers, share us with your Tinder dates. Just, you know, share us. And uh, enjoy the show. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder, the god of thunder, mighty Thor. Everyone, this week we're talking about the god of thunder, Thor Odinson himself. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we're going to start things off with a question, and that question is, what god do you want to be a superhero and why? Adrian, you want to go first on this one here? Um, Poseidon, because he's badass. He's my favorite. He's my favorite, one of my favorites in Smite, so <laughs> that. that or Anubis, but, you know, just something like, it's like not human looking. I mean, something scary looking. I think Poseidon would be better than Aquaman in Justice League. Yeah, I could, I could get with that. You want somebody to really wield the trident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, one, this is apparently a lot of hard, harder question than I thought it was going to be. Because, one, apparently Anubis is actually in some of the comics already. Really? Yes. For Shazam? Uh, I don't know exactly where, but apparently he's in at least one Earth uh, 616 comic. Okay, so he's in Marvel. Okay. Yeah. So, one, my first answer was going to be with Artemis, but obviously Wonder Woman does some stuff with her, even though I do not like what they do with her. I like it better when she's actually, like, the god of, like, hunting and nature. Yeah. But since, obviously, she's already been taken. So then I went to Apollo, because I also followed the Adrian thing of just going down Smite God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I also found out apparently Apollo's also already a superhero, who apparently is very low-key and apparently was the first openly gay superhero for some reason back in 1998. So then I had to mark him off the list. Then I got to Anubis, which I also found was apparently had a role within the comics as well. And I got all the way down to and her was being my choice, because as Adrian said, he's also not human-like and something totally different. He's a big lion guy. Yes, he's a big lion in hunting and war, so I figured he'd fit right in. Nice. I went ahead and made up my entire world. So, like, I want a comic book based on Shibaba, which is, uh, like, the underworld. It's, like, it's the Mayan, like, place of death, and then I just want all those superheroes to be the different gods within that, that area. And then I want them to deal with, like, bringing people in and out of it. Because I think it's cool. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, well, so, like, the thing is, is, like, I don't too much, I don't know too much about, like, actual Mayan deities, like, within it. But I do know about the play Shibaba and 
the way that functions and that's something i've always like looked into and read about i don't know why i've never really cared about like the god aspect of it like just like the place itself so that's what i would want and in case i don't think there's anything like that i would hope not i you'd have to i, I would have to google <laughs> but I also think my wanting to use the Mayan pan- uh, pantheon is because I really think Oelix and Kamataz or Kamataz look really cool in Smite. So I too based it off of Smite. <laughs> well, when you had a giant list of gods and goddesses to use, and even demigods, it was pretty easy place to start with. Yeah, and the really cool thing, and I think why I think we all probably lent from there too, is they. For Smite, the MOBA game on, I believe it's on all consoles now, It they put a lot of thought into their history and stuff. But this is a really great transition into the character himself. And I also want to preface this, which I think this is going to be our most objective episode yet, because I have no feeling towards Thor one way or the other. And I'm bringing just the facts and some things that I thought were really cool. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that, that's kind of where I am going into this. Uh, bef- I don't really care for Thor at all, for the most part. The MCU, per se, has kind of made him relevant and kind of cool character now, but as far as everything but besides that, I not, don't really care for that character, as I do not prefer uh, god-type characters <laughs> in Superman or Woman, Woman, or Thor-type characters. Makes sense. You, Adrian? I think he's okay. I like mythology, so I like that he's important. Like, he's like an actual god. He's not just like some space alien who gets his power from the sun and is super strong. <laughs> I will say that's probably the only thing that makes yeah, him intriguing out of everything else. <laughs> so, I think he's I think okay. I, I, I think his character from like... I, don't, I This last movie just like really changed my perspective on Thor as well. Because like, they played him in the movies as like kind of an asshole for a while. And now he's really not anymore. So it's, I don't know yeah. if it's like the Thor I remember in like TV shows and stuff and comics, but he's, he's okay. I don't hate him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's not like Superman where I just outwardly dislike him. He's just kind of you know, meh. Guys, how are we ever going to be able to do a Superman episode? I don't think a single one of us likes him. You better bring someone on so I'll rip that You might want to bring shreds. about two people on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Okay, so going into talking about the character. First off, we're not going to be talking about the people who have wielded the power of Thor. So that means Jane Foster, um, more specifically Jane Foster, as well as Beta Ray Bill. I'm not going to talk too much about their arcs. They do have arcs. um, But I'm going to be focusing on the Odin son himself. And he is based, as Adrian said, heavily on mythology, Norse mythology to be exact. The really cool thing, and I think it's important with Matt, how you kind of brought a list of a whole bunch of Greek gods that were already in use. Stanley decided that they needed a Superman, or they needed a hero that was more than just a hero. And he thought, okay, well, I'll make him a god. And so then he said this, how do you make someone stronger than the strongest person? It finally came to me. Don't make him human. Make him a god. I decided readers were already pretty familiar with the Greek and Roman gods. It might be fun to delve into the Norse legends. Besides, I pictured Norse gods looking like Vikings of old with flowing beards, horned helmets, and battle clubs. 
I think it's really cool that he went with Norse mythology because I think one of the reasons why there are so many gods from the Greek pantheon involved in comics already in some fashion is because it's the one that most people are familiar with. Which also is kind of hilarious, I guess, per se, because it might be the one they're most familiar with, but seems to be the one that they seem to butcher the most in comics. (laughs) Also true. When you get into him, he is an Asgardian with a constant interest in humans or the world or the realm of Midgard and how they experience life in limited ways as opposed to his ability to experience life as an Asgardian and pretty much a god. So where we see him as a superhero, he's pretty much normal amongst all other Asgardians. And when you see him fighting against other Asgardians or people who are his equal, you really get to know that what sets him apart as a superhero in other places and in other settings isn't that he's super powerful, but that he's really well trained in battle and battle strategies. And he's a warrior. So like that warrior spirit actually, and you know, Mjolnir, are his two things that separates him as a superhero because on Asgard, he's just a regular dude who can do all the things that other people in that world can do. But for the basis of explaining his superpowers, I'm using quotes here, he has superhuman strength, speed, durability, and longevity. So Asgard years are different than Midgard years. Also, I'm probably going to mispronounce things because I do not speak Scandinavian languages, nor have I studied them. (laughs) 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 How dare you not be able to do that? (laughs) So, also, it's like, who puts an M next to a J? Like, stone. Okay. Sorry, any of our Scandinavian listeners. Um, So, in addition to these superpowers, he fights with Mjolnir. And Mjolnir is the hammer that was made for him by Odin, and he can only lift. And Mjolnir is really interesting because it pretty much does whatever the writer wants it to do. It doesn't have, like, a set power. They range from dimensional transportation, electric manipulation, flight, weather manipulation, and resurrection, messaging, time travel, energy dispersion, barriers, life absorption, and anything else that needs to be written into the plot as plot armor. So yeah, he's pretty OP, I think is what that says. <laughs> yeah, that thing is, does done ridiculous things in the comics. It's, it's actually yes. out of control. <laughs> also, fun fact, it is tiny and kind of looks weird instead of being like a Warhammer because Loki actually messed with it in the forging process, so it's short instead of being long. That's why it looks like that. Got a little nubbin. Yeah. It's, got, it's got a little nubbin. And what's his, what's the name of his belt? Mignitord oh, or some, something like that? His belt's also important because like it, it increases his strength by like, 10% or something like that. Like every time I see the movies in the MCU, I'm wondering when, if they're ever going to give him like this belt to ah. make him stronger when they fight Thanos, maybe. So, uh, Megan Yord? Yeah, something like that, right? Megan Yord? I don't know how I'm going to say it. that's right. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt that. <laughs> Do you want to add an O to the end of it? No. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's actually really interesting that you brought it up because I know that they gave him a belt later on in the comics because he didn't have one always, um, but it actually fits with his mythology because in order to wield Mjolnir, he needed both gloves and a belt to wield it effectively in mythology. Yeah, I, just, I know when he got it, he became like mega OP. <laughs> super just, Thor? Yeah, super Thor. <laughs> 
so he has been a he actually he was a founding member of the Avengers. He's also been a member of the Warriors Three, the Sor the Thor Corps, the God Squad, which is a literal squad of gods. The and, God Squad uh, sounds yeah, amazing. It was it yeah Very I believe creative. it was in Civil War when it happened. I have it written down here. Um, pretty much, Amadeus Cho was like, "Oh my God, we suck." We can't do anything here because it was to fight the secret invasion of the scroll, and he was like, "We can't like physically fight these people as well as God." So let me go through and collect all of the gods available. And he brought in um, Beyonder, Snowbird, Hercules, Ajax, Amatru, Mikaboshi. I probably said that wrong. Uh, Bemagorge, the Panther God, Thor, Galactus, Venus, Cersei, Damian Hellstrom. And that was it. <laughs> that, that sounds like a, a mixture between. So that sounds broken, <laughs> so broken. <laughs> so yeah, he has fought amongst those people. Into the explanation of who he is, he is the God of Thunder or Lord of Thunder, if you feel like making a joke. And his father is Odin. His brother is Loki. Loki, and the way the myths <laughs> play out are what? Loki. <laughs> low key is not low key at all. It's also accurate, yeah. <laughs> um, and the way the myths play out are at its core a reflection of the lore, but there are changes in the narrative in order to fit it into the larger Marvel cosmology and done to make the narratives flow better. I.e., the lore of the story is the creation. So, like. A good example is that you get an explanation of the Norse myths as like a back, I guess like a supplementary story. And in Asgard, you have as like the Norse mythology as being the creation of the world. But you also work into an understanding that like Galactus is a thing and, you know, all the different like plays between galaxies and dimensions and stuff in the larger scope. So with multiple runs, I'm honestly going to focus just on his 60s comment, uh, just on his 60s comic and probably give some mention to how it influences future story because in the 60s you get a pretty set amount of tropes that are used continuously through the different runs. So Thor's father Odin decides his son needed to be taught humility and consequently places Thor without his memories of godhood into the body and into the body of a human with that human's existing memories. And he's also partially disabled and he's a medical student and his name is Donald Blake. After becoming a doctor, he's on vacation in Norway where Blake witnesses the arrival of an alien scouty party. So he flees into a cave. He ends up getting locked in that cave and he he bangs his cane, which he's used cuz he's disabled, against the against the rock and all of a sudden it becomes Mjolnir and he's zapped into remembering that he's the god of thunder. I, there was like no lesson to be learned there. Like he didn't have to magically unlock Mjolnir. It just kind of like tap it really hard. So if he had fallen down earlier, before seeing the alien scouting party, he could have discovered this earlier. Yeah, I just have in my head like him getting really angry at failing like a med test or something, and then just like throwing his throwing his cane against the uh, against the wall. Oh, boom, Thor. Um, but yeah, so later in Thor number one fifty nine, Blake is revealed to have always been Thor. Odin's enchantment having caused him to forget his history, 
and believe himself to be mortal instead of immortal. So after defeating the aliens, Thor then shares a double life with his alter ego, Donald Blake, and he treats the ill in a private practice with nurse Jane Foster because she was a nurse then, because what we learned from Wonder Woman, you can only be nurses, (laughs) even if you're Wonder Woman. And he maintains defending humanity from evil while also being a pretty cool doctor. What eventually happens is that Thor's presence on Earth immediately attracts the attention of Loki. And Loki then ends up bringing some of Thor's principal foes like the Absorbing Man, the Destroyer, and the Wrecker. And that's where you go into the adventures of Thor's. And that's pretty much it. I mean, so there's a... A lot more to unpack, but I would rather focus on the but why those as we start moving through. And to be be honest, I have not read extensive amounts of Thor. I did binge read some of the bigger story arcs, like the Ragnarok story arc, um, in preparation for both the movie and this episode. And then, of course, I went to the good old interwebs to research why Thor has been rated one of the highest superheroes um so we'll get into that in the but why those instead of focusing too much on his origins so what this sets up is you end up getting a series of tropes from this original run that continue throughout thor is looking to be worthy and this is used continuously in almost all of his runs by the writer showing flashbacks where he's attempting to become you know worthy of the hammer and this is important because it's it's not just Thor does one thing and he becomes worthy it's a long drawn out process and instead of giving us all this exposition while he's already wielding it because in most of in most of the series he already is Thor it's taken care of by giving flashbacks and the flashbacks become a trope often used also ultimately Odin is a dick So the entire reason that Thor ends up on Earth a lot of the time is because Odin decides that he has been a bad son and throws him to Earth. And in some cases, he's actually destroyed the human identity of Thor that Thor has been living as and gives it to somebody else, like what happens with Beta Ray Bill. The one thing I took away from all of the explanations for Thor having problems in his life is mostly because Odin is a dick. Like, you'd think it'd be Loki, but no. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Odin's kind of a dick in the mythology, too, so... Yeah, which is kind of weird how I thought how they portrayed him, at least in the first two movies, as this, like, not so much of a dick. Yeah. Compared to what I knew about the mythology. Also, uh, Mjolnir, as I said, is important to showing him being worthy, but he also doesn't always have it. And I believe right now he's using an enchanted axe name, Yarn Bjorn. Gumborn. Yarn Bjorn. Yarn Bjorn. Yarn Berno. <laughs> Yarn Berno. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that is my brief little recap of Thor. As always, if you want to at me and tell me what I missed, let me know. We can include it later. <laughs> so. When we go into the publication history, 
Thor debuted in the Silver Age of Comics, and he first appeared in Journey into Mystery number 83 in 1962. And like I said, he was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby with the help of Larry Lieber. This story was also included in Tales of the Unexpected from uh, 1957 in DC. And this was from Jack Kirby. And although the character had a different design, some details were reused by Kirby when he worked um, on the Marvel Comics iteration of him. And at its core, he is the competition for Superman. So I know a lot of people, I, I, I myself like to do that. Like, who, like, Batman reflects so-and-so, Wonder Woman reflects so-and-so. Thor is meant to reflect Superman. Yeah. So. That was the one person I always assumed. Yeah. And I don't really like Superman, and so I never really cared for Thor. Makes sense. Kirby was actually really influential in the design and the construction of the character, saying that he had did a version of Thor for DC in the 50s before I did it for Marvel. I created Thor at Marvel because I was forever enamored with Legends, which is why I knew about Baldur, Heimdall, Heimdall, and Odin. I tried to update Thor and put him into a superhero costume, but he was still Thor. And in 1982, Kirby also said, I knew that Thor, I knew the Thor legends very well and I wanted to modernize them. I felt that I felt that might be a new thing for comics, taking the old legends and modernizing them. Where I know Thor from, he has starred in several ongoing series and limited series and is a founding member of the superhero team, the Avengers, in 1963. And he's appeared in every single volume after that, which is personally why I have a huge problem with Captain America, the first Avenger, because Cap wasn't even a founding member. But America. <laughs> <laughs> Literally probably the only reason why yes. I went with that. Um so I know Thor from the Avengers. That's the only time I was ever really introduced with him, and I never sought out his comics outside of that, really. Like, I didn't feel a pull to. But I also think it works for Thor because I think Thor works better with a team. Yeah, I've only ever known him being part of the Avengers, except for Civil War, where he leaves. Yes. So, the but why those... The first is that he is the worthiest hero. Mjolnir itself, I'm going to go into a little origin of, so because mostly because I really want to like set the stage for all the mythology that's involved in crafting these stories. So Mjolnir's origin, during an unimaginably powerful cosmic storm called the God Tempest, Odin, the All-Father, battled that storm and in order to protect Asgard, and once the storm had weakened enough and he defeated it, he trapped it into a chunk of Uru, which is essentially like star metal, and he gave that to the dwarves of Nidavellir? Nidavellir? It's one of the nine realms. <laughs> Um, as a gift, and from the Uru, and from the Uru, Odin ordered that the dwarves would also forge Mjolnir. The blacksmiths Eitri, Brock, and Buri needed to use a tremendous heat of the star to get the forge hot enough to actually smelt Uru. And then the hammer was completed in 17 weeks time. And in this process, in this prolonged process of like harnessing the heat from the star, the star exploded and it took some of Midgard with it. And this is what the comics used to justify the extinction of the dinosaurs. 
the inscription on it is whoever hold, whosoever holds this hammer if he be worthy shall possess the power of thor so before you go on to the next part yes. why are the dorbs always blacksmiths i don't know actually i feel mythology. like that's a high fantasy thing well i know it's mythology yeah. but it's just like they're in every mythology why? or fantasy realm they're always blacksmiths why are elves always the pretentious high people just what they do. <laughs> so I think they would always be blacksmiths is because they're always they always live in mountains. And if yeah. you're a mountain dweller, then you're a miner. And if you're a miner, you you should know how to use what you mine. Um, I can't think of a single, I guess, high fantasy thing or mythological thing where the dwarves are not in a mountain. So that's probably why it's like a natural flow from their place of dwelling. Um, I don't know why they live in a mountain. I can't tell you that. <laughs> I don't know. So these words are spoken by Odin into the hammer. And this also means that Odin can alter it to pretty much let anybody hold it. And it's kind of weird because it's more like Odin is deeming people worthy. So Thor realized through a long series of him trying to become the best warrior and the best fighter or the most vicious that that wasn't what worthiness called for. Worthiness wasn't always winning. Worthiness was more about doing what morally what was morally the right thing to do for Asgard or for the people he was fighting for. So fighting wasn't the wasn't the worthiness, it was what he was fighting for at its core. And so even though, so you have this warrior spirit that's really central to Thor's character, but what really sets him apart from other heroes and makes him the parallel to Superman is that he has a very strict moral code because he will not not be worthy. Um, Which I believe is why he leaves in Civil War. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes, it is. So who else has been deemed worthy? You should, you're probably thinking if you have no exposure to, the Thor, to Thor in the comics, that Thor must only be the worthy one. Well, you're wrong and a lot of people actually hold it. So in primary continuity, that is Earth 616 continuity of Marvel Comics, you have Beta Ray Bill, Captain America, Odin, Bor, Odin, which is his father, Bor, who is his grandfather, Loki, Jane Foster, Squirrel Girl, which I don't know how or why about that one, and I meant to look it up before we recorded, and then uh, the Destroyer and Throg, which is Frog Thor, which I had to include because I love Frog Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Then in the MCU, you have Thor, Hela, and the Vision, and in other continuities outside of 616, you have Miguel O'Hara, Conan the Barbarian, Rogue, Professor X, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Black Widow. And there are more people on this list. These are just the ones that I thought you would, listening, you would know who they were. And you could at least have some backstory to kind of make the leap between why they might be worthy. Um, Loki also has a run in 2004 where he pretty much brings on the destruction of Asgard by making a whole bunch of Mjolnirs and giving them to like everybody. And that happens. <laughs> I'm su- I'm surprised um, Miguel O'Hara. I didn't know that Miguel O'Hara is able to hold Mjolnir. That's crazy. That's Spider-Man t- uh, 2099. Spider-Man. 
a Spider-Man has wielded Thor's hammer. Uh, I was about to say, looking cool. at some of these, you kind of wonder about the worthiness part of this hammer and what actually happened. Yeah. Like, which one specifically? Well, I mean, other than, like, the Destroyer. The Destroyer would be the first one off the page. Um, Black Widow would be a weird one for me. Technically, Rogue and possibly even Professor X would be a weird one for me. Conan the Barbarian would definitely be a weird one for me. Um, I don't know a lot about Miguel O'Hara, so I can stand that one. Superman, I guess I could somewhat see with the moral codes. Um... As far as the other ones, I don't know how Squirrel Girl and him even meet. Which I don't be, know that either. <laughs> that one's more of just like a what? And before we get added, yes, Cap budged it in the movie, but I don't think that counts. No, that does not no. count. No. <laughs> if you're not like flipping it around in craft, that does not count. <laughs> Although that was probably that best. The reaction that Thor has when it budges is probably one of the best, like, close-ups I've seen of Thor ever. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of my favorite <laughs> movies in the continuity. Our favorite moments. Um, yeah. I but totally that, that's see what, what you're saying, though. Like, I don't know why some of them would have, like, Black Widow kills people for a living. Yeah, she's basically... <laughs> I know the MCU turned her into this good person or whatever, but she's literally just basically a Russian spy. Yeah. I See, and that's one of the reasons I've had a problem with Black widow like recently as i don't see her as a hero i see her more as an anti-hero who like does what needs to get done yeah she was actually almost like even a i think a villain for a while oh she was definitely a villain for a while um professor x i could see holding it i could see him holding i don't know why he would need it because he has massive mind powers but i could see him hold it and then obviously a few of the other ones were just basically because they're from asgard like loki uh odin and vor and even as you say hella and everything it's family based So, to use Mjolnir to jump into the mythology, if you can't tell, a lot of the names that I've butchered up to this point are specifically from Norse mythology, and the comic itself tries to work it in whenever it can to building out the world of Asgard and to give a lot of Thor's personality traits and choices a uh, a grounding in something larger than just um, the writer himself. Him, Yeah, I think he's only been written by men. Um... In the comics, Midgard and Asgard are parts of the world tree Yggdrasil, and they're connected by the Bifrost Bridge. And if I'm correct, the Bifrost Bridge only goes between Midgard and Asgard, and you have to use interdimensional pathways to go through everything else. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's they're on a tree, and you can travel to parts of the tree. <laughs> yeah, is probably the easiest way. Yeah, to there it is. Different interdimensional planes, which you travel through, basically what is called like somewhat wormholes, which send you basically through the space time continuum. Yes. We try um, to explain all this would be totally impossible and hard. Yes. <laughs> um, but this is brought from Norse mythology and the life tree. Um, so Thor is a god in Midgard in, um, Thor is a god, a god in Midgard because he does end up traveling to Earth during the time of the Vikings, and he pretty much forms his own religion by telling, um, by forming great feats and, uh, telling tales of his family and of Asgard, but once he sees the Vikings killing and pillaging and doing Viking things, in his name, he decides that he can't be complicit in the destruction, and then he leaves and goes back to As- Asgard, which is why the religion, which was so based on the physical presence, doesn't last. 
And uh, there's actually a church where you have a modern day Church of Thor, which I kind of want to go and read. Um, but I think that the way they work this in is really important because in Norse mythology, there, just like in Greek mythology, there is a very heavy weight placed on the importance of the gods walking amongst you and gaining your favor and testing you and coming into your home. You also get this all explained in the Tales of Asgard, and this is included, uh, what I referenced earlier, as a backup feature to the main one. And this is where you get to see the Asgardian perspective. You get to see Thor and his friends, and you get to see how they live life and how they see the world as. So it, it pretty much handles from the creation of the universe to the first time Thor lived in Mjolnir, as well as the origins of Baldur and the adoption of Loki, to a whole new adventure of their own when they were all older. And the tales of Asgard really give you the sense of history that you wouldn't get with someone who isn't immortal, or at least somebody who lives as long as Thor. So it's essentially the retelling of the, Morse, of the Norse mythology in a way that fits it into Marvel continuity. And it's so loved amongst Thor readers that you can buy a collection of it where it is nothing but these short features from the comics where it's, it's just Norse mythology through the glasses of Marvel, um, which I think sounds like something you might want to check out, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, um, I, I remember, I didn't have them, but one of my friends had a whole bunch of the the Tales of Asgard like shorts. And was there there was like a TV show back in like the early two thousand tens or something like that of the Tales of Asgard? But it was like him as like a teenager or something like that. I, I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking about it. I was like, yeah, they really did make him young to make it, you know, for make to, exactly like what you said to make him go through the things. But the show wasn't very good. Yeah, <laughs> which once like again, most of Marvel. Yeah. Which once again leads to my point: How do they butcher Greek and Roman mythology so bad in the other ones? Yes, it really bugs me that they do that. I think, well, like my theory on that is because everybody is so familiar with it, they feel like they can just have free way, free reign doing what they need to because they don't need to explain anything about Ares or put him into into direct things because you've probably heard the name Ares before. Whereas I think if you do something like with Egyptian mythology, like in Shazam or, um, you know, Norse mythology, these are things that people may not have that much exposure to. So you could say that it'd be easy to just do whatever you want. But if nobody has a lot of exposure to it, the, the writers might not as well. So they'd probably be using that myth as more of a grounding mechanism when they write their stories than if you're using something where you just throw the names out. If that makes sense. It makes sense, but also is kind of sad. It is really sad. Because <laughs> you would think the thing that you do not know about, you're more inclined to just do whatever you'd like with it yeah. than the thing that everybody knows about. Yeah. and But I think, too, like since everybody knows about it, there's, like, you have Xena and Hercules, and, like, you have, there are just so many different iterations of the Greek mythology out there. You got to make it different and spicy for the comics. So, yeah. Spicy. Sure. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the big things from mythology that takes place in Thor is Ragnarok. And in the real Ragnarok, the entirety of Yggdrasil is, Yggdrasil is destroyed. And that means the entire universe. The myth holds that the frost giants, the fryer giants led by Surtur, 
and the dead led by Loki will all attack Asgard, in which Odin is then eaten by Fenrir and all the realms join forces to fight against them. Thor then dies defeating the Serpent of Midgard. Loki and Heimdall kill each other and then the universe dies in a very, very big fire. And that's it. It ends. Um, but in the comics, Asgard actually dies a whole bunch of times. And it either happens through Ragnarok, which authors have used to end their, um, to end their series so that they can start something else. And it's also a cyborg clone of Thor that was made for Secret Invasion storyline by Tony because, of course... Tony doesn't know how to do things that do good and they just like harm things and this one's so this one is Ragnarok as well but Ragnarok doesn't have an umlaut above it but this character but this character name does which would make it Ragnarok I think um so yeah um thank you Tony Stark he says you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) um the story arc itself, and probably one of the best ones, is in Thor Volume 2, Issues 80 through 85. And this is the one that I read, and it's really good. So if you have a chance, if you're getting ready to go see the movie or have seen the movie, this is kind of like, this is a really good thing to learn more about Hela and how she fits into this Ragnarok mythology itself. Um and the way the comics portray Ragnarok is pretty different from the way mythology does. Mythology, it's a hard end. There is nothing after Ragnarok. It's all... Oh, gosh. There's nothing after Ragnarok. It's the end. That's it. But in the comics, Ragnarok is portrayed more as a cycle of life and death with Asgard and all the gods dying. But they're reborn. But they're reborn and Asgard is rebuilt later on. And it's like a hard reset for the universe. And it's also, like I said, the perfect plot device to end a series run of a writer and bring in new things and to change characters in different ways. Yeah, you can't argue like, oh, they're doing Ragnarok again? Like, Well, it's in the mythology. Of course, they're going to do Ragnarok again. You can't argue against that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I also did want to mention the changes that was made to mythology some of them are pretty big and some of them are just not really that big and i wanted it i wanted to do this in order to put put it in scope to some of like matt's mentioned um the changes in greek mythology um with other comics and so thor doesn't have blonde hair he's redhead in the erasure of another redhead matt i told you they're always (laughs) coming after the redheads (laughs) they're losing everything Um, he needs special equipment, like I mentioned before, the gloves and the belt to wield Mjolnir effectively. He also cannot fly with Mjolnir or by himself. He needs a chariot. And he's never really, he's never punished by Odin to walk the earth. And he is married to Sif, which I ship Thor and Sif way more than Thor and Jane Foster. I just really want mythology, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why. And the other reason is why I want him with somebody who is his equal. I just want to see the CGI of him flying this chariot. (laughs) Because from the animated stuff of him doing it, it is so bad. Hey, hey. (laughs) Those Pegasus that the Valkyrie ride in on looked pretty damn cool in Ragnarok. So. It looks awful in the animated stuff. I know. It does look really bad. (laughs) 
Um, so also with Loki, he isn't inherently evil, like at all. He doesn't really have plots for the domination of Asgard or anywhere really. He just kind of, he's a trickster god and he messes with everybody. And a lot of his tricks actually end up doing more good than harm um, in that world. Uh, then you have Balder, who in the comics is represented as hot-headed and a hot-headed, less powerful version of Thor. But in mythology, he's actually the quintessential good guy. He's like the god of beauty and happiness and all of that stuff. Um, Sif also gets changed. So she was a goddess of the harvest and she doesn't have any badass like epic fight scenes like the Sif, the Sif we know in the comics. So I think that's another reason why I really like Thor and Sif because she like matches his ferocity in battle. But yeah. Um, then you have Odin who pretty much drenches the world in the blood of his enemies and would hands down kick Marvel Odin's ass really, really hard. Um, because the Norsemen fear him, they don't love him. And that's why, um, if you've seen American Gods, there's this really good scene where they're bringing in this identity of Odin to, like, the American landscape, you know, way back when the Vikings discovered everything first. And all of it was about killing and death and battle and fighting, um, which we get the Odin who's more content with sitting on his throne. Yeah, that's what I was one of the very first things seeing the very first Thor was like, uh, why is this person Odin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then you have the Jotun, which are the Frost Giants. And pretty much in Thor's continuity in Marvel, the Jotun are um, from, you know, from Jotunheim, which is correct, but they're focused on destroying Asgard, and they're not that at all when it comes to the mythology. They're actually these really, really wise creatures that, o that Odin goes to for instruction, and they're also the source of all poetry. Um, so technically like that would be what gives loki like his good side not his evil side oh i'm thinking of giant frosty the snowman yeah they kind of they kinda, yes <laughs> they like, they miss out like an opportunity to have like ymir and like all these like cool frost giants from mythology in there and they just kind of made the frost giants just assholes <laughs> like, exactly <yeah>. why <laughs> like you could have had some like legit stuff going on there you could we could have got a big frost giant who read poetry <laughs> that would have been perfect. I'm there for that. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised that Ymir was actually not in any of them. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you could have, you could easily put Ymir in. I don't know if Ymir was like in like the comics, but I, you could have definitely put him into the movie or to like into the movie. Okay. So another reason that he matters is because even though he's God, like he's still his character still holds really, really human qualities and the main one that i'm gonna mention is his family so family to thor is really really important and thor values his family in a way that isn't focused just on blood which is something that you see a lot of in other mythologies like lineage and um lineage and 
birthright and propriety of that is something that's really really important whereas in thor you have thor loving his brother loki no matter what because it's not the fact that he's adopted that matters it's the fact that he has had all of these albeit sometimes bad experiences with loki that make him his brother over anything else and this is one of his downfalls is that he does love his family so much because that is what opens him up to be manipulated manipulated by loki at times and it's the same thing that happens with his father because he doesn't push back against odin as much as he wants to because he has um such reverence and love for his father and then of course you just have his ability to his ability and his want to form um human relationships with humans like jane foster and stuff like that which i don't get behind <laughs> but it's I also like important Sith to his more. character <laughs> which i guess just sort of interesting this can be a sideboard did they ever explain whatever happened to jane foster besides the fact in real life she didn't want to play the movies anymore no okay they don't explain anything in the movies because yeah, obviously they, they know they're not, yeah they broke yeah. up but they don't ever explain like why which is totally not part of the continuity and then totally just weird the way they did it yeah no they don't really explain anything um i just want to make sure i didn't miss that yeah no they don't <laughs> explain it now we're moving into why he matters because of the movies which i think is a big one for a lot of people um, so this character was first portrayed in live action by Eric Allen Kramer in the 1988 television movie The Incredible Hulk Retur- Returns, and he's now played by Chris Hemsworth in the MCU films Thor, The Avengers, Thor The Dark World, Age of Ultron, and Rag- uh, Thor Ragnarok, and he's going to be coming back in Avengers Infinity World, in Avengers Infinity World, back War. in <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. And the untitled sequel to that. Now, after doing all this research, and Matt can kind of, like, back me up on this, like, we used to call Thor's, like, a B-lister. Like, we didn't really know about him. We didn't really care about him. Um, But after doing all this research, he is actually known for having some of the most revered runs in comic books when it comes to storylines and story arcs. And he's ranked 14th best, best superhero by IGN in 2001, and he's ranked... 11. Huh, oh, 2011, and he's ranked number one in the 50 Greatest Avengers by IGN in 2015, which those are some pretty big places to hold, and a lot of it has to do that fans really love him. And when I, I was talking to a couple of comic book people who have their own podcasts and stuff like that, and... I was like, I don't know I'm going to do this Thor thing. I just don't like Thor. I don't think he's important. He's like, and they were both like, Thor has some of the best comic books in the entire Marvel continuity. So what I want to say that the movies specifically do is they're able to make Thor important to people who didn't think Thor were important. So the MCU in these movies brings Thor into the spotlight for people who haven't heard of him and because honestly when I think of Marvel's top heroes I think of Cap, Spidey, Wolverine, and Daredevil which are the ones that are the most marketed and pretty much held in those spots but so like Thor isn't like that flag bearer for Marvel I would think and I think what the MCU is able to do is they're able to make sure that everybody knows who he is in a way that they didn't before 
Um, I don't know what you think, Adrian. I don't think he gets marketed as much comic book-wise. I think a lot of that goes to Cap and Spidey. Yeah. um, I'm super surprised at the greatest Avenger ranking. Yeah. Like, super, super surprised. I thought that would have gone to Spider-Man or Cap easy without thinking about it much. But what is that ranking based upon? Because it is 2015, and at that time... You do have Spider-Man basically not really doing much. Spidey's number three. Okay, so he is three. Yeah, I'm so Spider's about top, Yeah, he's... I mean, obviously, he's always going to be a top, but, I mean, as far as, like, especially, at least at that time, you're still having all the movies picking up. So one of the reasons I think that he's in there is because Thor has pretty much been involved in every single, in every single volume of the Avengers, like I mentioned before. Mm. So, like, there pretty much hasn't been an Avengers without a Thor. Whereas you have other ones that get rotated in and out. I'm actually still surprised that Daredevil's up there in the top four, according to platforms yeah, and everything. Yeah, for like most well-known characters, yeah, he's considered one of the top four. Like the top four are Cap, Spidey, Wolverine, and him. Um, not many people love the solo movies in the MCU, aside from Loki's performances in them. But we do get his origin, and now having read a lot of his origins i can really respect the way they did the first thor movie um but i still don't think there's an excuse for dark world i think that that is still one of the worst movies in the mcu Um, i still think thor one was actually pretty good at least i didn't think it was awful but i didn't think it definitely wasn't dark world but i didn't think it was as bad yeah well that's what i'm saying so if you think back to the origin that i gave like him not being Thor for the longest time pretty much reflects his origin in the Marvel Universe itself. So bringing that to the MCU is going to be hard for someone like me that barely cares for the character and then I have to watch, like, I mean, I I did not mind watching the super buff guy get dressed, but, like, that's pretty much all he does. He doesn't do much. He's just there. But I kind of want to go back and rewatch it now with the knowledge I have of his origin story, and I think that I can really respect the way they did it. That being said, for the solo movies, when you bring Thor into the Avengers, you get to see how he interacts with the team and the rest of the MCU, and this is where I really, really think that Thor shines as being an integral part of the Marvel Universe and of the MCU, because Hemsworth and Thor's dialogue in general only works when it's getting to play off of characters, I think, that rival him in equal abilities, because a lot of his talk has to do about his strength or has to do about his power and stuff like that. And that doesn't work when he's relating them to a human audience, but when he's in the Avengers, having that play back and forth with the Hulk and stuff like that, that really, really works. so I think that Thor should always be with the team. Just saying. So the guy that comes from Norse mythology where they do great battles together and they value family and everything work together very well in a team. Yes. <laughs> um, the other big thing that the movies gives us is this idea of magic being treated as science. And the movie itself centers around Jane Foster and her team finding Thor and pretty much just doing sciencing things, trying to... Um, uncover how you can travel from Midgard to Asgard and um, uh, like quantum and theoretical physicists and this is one of the movies that becomes a catalyst for Marvel using its movies to promote STEM for children as well as holding competitions and initiatives and I think the biggest one they had was for uh, Civil War. Now Marvel pairs um, its movies with campaigns for STEM, which I think is really, really important, especially now when 
science is pretty much being treated like it doesn't exist. <laughs> so to know that you have people who have children's, um, I guess eyes just like looking up at the screen wanting to be these characters to also back that up by in, like by putting science in the movies and making science important to the plots, I think that that's really important with, you know, starting kids young thinking about these things. In the movie, they call science magic, and it's really reflective of the quote, um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indis indistinguishable from magic. And the reason I put that in there is because Matt and I have Curiosity Stream, and we watch a lot of, like, multiverse shows and, like, breakdowns of, like, theoretical and quantum physics or quantum mechanics and um that's something that gets brought up a lot like we don't understand it so we think it's magic but the more we study it and the more we learn it just turns into a different type of science um unfortunately stan lee has affirmed has reaffirmed that there is no way to scientifically understand the nine realms because it wasn't meant to be understood by humans uh but the Thor movies have at least tried a little bit. They did allude to the Bifrost acting as an as an Einstein Rosenbridge or a what, Matt? A wormhole. Yep. To connect the worlds to each other from interdimensional planes. And this is hold on, why did I write that? Oh yeah, so like I think it's interesting. Not in the same way that like the multiverse works on the Flash TV show, because I think that that kind of more extensively goes through science. But I think this is really interesting because it uses Jane Foster and the physicist that she's working with as an alternative to the people who first met Thor thinking that he was religious and magic, but instead giving the voice from science's side of having him come down and wanting to make it not this giant event, but more like an understanding of what is happening. Well, actually, the way they travel in the multiverse by using these pockets would be the same concept they use from the gravitational pockets of possible wormholes in between the multi-dimensions. So you could use it in the Flash? No, basically yeah. the way the Flash do it could be the way they use in the Flash could possibly, if you, not necessarily... To get through each one with the Bifrost way, but the way they go from each realm to different realms, looking for different space, especially the way they do it, kind of when you start going through the different, uh, the way they do it in the dark world, where the dimensions and uh, everything start colliding with each other. Oh, okay. Um, if any of that made sense. Kind of. <laughs> Science rules. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what we do have when it comes to science is. Science scientists ha or physicists have made an assumption as to why Mjolnir works the way it does. So Neil deGrasse Tyson did speculate that if um, that if Mjolnir was composed of a near of a neutron star, that it would then be the densest material in the universe outside of the black hole, and would not be able to be lifted by anyone. Which, if you bring that to the fact that it was forged with the power of the star, with the power of stars, and Uru would essentially like work as a, a neutron star, then it would have the ability to manipulate gravitational forces like a neutron star. Which, if you tie that with advanced technology, then you would have essentially the theory from physicists is that in Thor's hammer, it's not biometric like Tony suggests in that clip but in uh, when they're trying to pick up the hammer but instead it's a it's nanites that are voice programmed by odin 
to read Thor. So not thumbprint, sorry. I think Tony says thumbprint, um, but biometrically, like, read Thor. Um, and this would let him, it would adjust the gravitational force on the hammer itself to only let Thor or, somebody's in Od or, Th or somebody in Odin's line to pick it up because it's programmed by Odin, if that makes sense. It's kind of convoluted, but it's like a theory. I'm just going to go with he's a god and he can pick up the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. She tried to ask me to look at this and try to explain some of this from magic. And I was like, you do realize looking at this is like quantum physics and theoretical physics, yeah. which one, I'm not a physicist, but two, <laughs> even my limits of trying to be able to explain this on this podcast in a short amount of time would be almost nearly impossible. Plus the fact it's obviously fiction. Yeah. And he lifted a snake as big as the world. I think he, I think he can handle this. <laughs> I guess ultimately what I want to know, Matt, like as a scientist and somebody who's worked in science and taught science, like how do you feel about um, them using, uh, you know, them situating magic as science and, and having that be a strand throughout all their movies that kind of starts here? I think it's great. I like the way they do the little whole like, we just don't understand it so people think it's magic because it's basically been a concept that's been throughout science throughout the ages. Mm -hmm. And it's just really cool because said people from like the 1800s would think half the stuff we do now is just magic and so they use that same concept to now basically people from a different realm do their stuff that's like oh just science but to us it's magic now trying to explain all this <laughs> trying to explain the magic yeah well the way they explained theirs was just different thing because the multiverse makes sense on what they're trying to concept you jump from multi, you know different universe to different universe whereas this one kind of goes on different like dimensional planes and possibly different to maybe different universes but different dimensions versus a simple universe universe jump which Science i'm not going to try to explain all that, that. <laughs> between pocket dimensions and m theory and other types of things this is why you're on this podcast i doubt that's why though <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much all I have for Thor. Um, what are y'all's final thoughts or thoughts on anything that I've said? Um, well, the first thing is I still, I, I still don't really care for the character. Like as far as comic wise, I do, like I said, I do like the MCU, but I do not like this whole idea of basically gods like fighting like on earth or Midgard. I still don't get it. Like who is going to defeat Thor? You can tell me that robber down the street's going to defeat Thor. No, like... The same concept with Superman. It just does not make sense to me. I do not see how it's in entertaining, per se. Um, when they do this, when Thor goes kind of in his own thing, I guess, like in Asgard, some of that stuff is interesting. Or like Jotunheim and like the other realms. Yeah, in the other realm. But that then again, you're leading more away why this is more going more into the mythology, at least to me, than more of like comic superhero type stuff. Yeah. Well, he does do a lot of superhero things in the other realms as well like he does have battles in those areas and he does have like fights with galactus and stuff well i well galactus doesn't exist uh. <laughs> <laughs> but no but when you look at it that way like fighting frost giant to me more looks like a mythological battle that seems interesting than i'm thinking of like oh, your average okay. superhero yeah type thing like he'd mess up the vulture yeah, like pretty much you can pretty much you go through even just the MCU and name majority of the villains. Thor could probably beat all of them within like a few minutes. Accurate. 
it kind of goes to the whole thing when they talk about when they have to do these heroes versus villains, you have the 1 to 1.5 scale of humans, or to pipe 4 to like, or 5. If you look at a villain scale, when you come to thing, like Batman would be a 1 because he has, uh, basically it's a normal human. So when you make his villains, you knew me have to, all you have to do to make his v- villains, uh, I guess, like, relatable is you have to make them 1.5 of a human. Oh, okay, versus, like, Superman, yeah. you have to have Apocalypse and yeah. Darkseid and... <laughs> yeah, where Thor's okay. in the same timeline where you can't have these, like, 1.5 or, like, vultures yeah. with technologies, you have to go Apocalypse, or you have to go different realm yeah. type things. Yeah. I think it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I'm not saying it's bad. It's bad. I'm just saying, like, to me, when I go to look for Matt's like, anti-fun. That's all I'm getting out of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it still just still, it still bugs me that how well... I mean, I know they do modifications what now, but at least they kind of, at least with the mythology of Norse mythology, they do pretty well. And we didn't even get into Shazam, like you're talking about with the Egyptian mythology. Yeah. And Isis and everything else that they hold and their gods. But how bad they do Wonder Woman with Hercules and Ares and all those in Greek mythology. And yeah. Roman. I can see that. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> it bugs <Okay>. me. <laughs> Especially considering my first two were possibly already uh, freaking <laughs> gods of choice. So you would rather somebody not just take the name, but actually use the mythology to work that person and that name into it. You said I was a scientist. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about you, Adrian? Uh, I need to go back and read Tales of Asgard, that that series. Because um, like, when you're... When we're talking about doing Thor, when I'm thinking about the comics, all I can really remember from as a kid reading Thor was all of his stuff in the other nine realms and not really on Earth. So I guess I can definitely see what Matt's saying. Um, in the movies, I like what like having him in the continuity does for uh, like the world-building aspect of of like how big this universe is. Like now we know about you know all this science mystical stuff like you were saying earlier um i just kind of wish that they would if you're gonna like for the second solo movie i wish they would have made it about like thor and like the mythology and not so much about like um all the people they made up yeah basically yeah like they could (laughs) have made a really really good story with all of the mythology and all the stuff they do in the comics but then they gave us thor dark world um so I guess I'm hoping if they do another Thor movie, I don't know if he's signed up for another solo Thor movie, but if they do something like that, it'd be cool to have them do something crazy yeah. with, you know, giants, like actual giants, not just like skinny, big blue people. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah. like that either. I thought they were going to be more like big giants. Which also, Gleet, to your point, is another fun thing to play. If you, I know it's obviously very dated, but Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the very first video game, they do go to Asgard in Valhalla, and you play through that and fight Frost Giants, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, man. There's yeah. a whole whole bunch of continuity like on him fighting Frost Giants and Fire Giants, and not just yeah. like yeah. beating them down which with like, one think, shot. I think this is a perfect place to end, because, listeners, we are going to be recording our Thor Ragnarok review right after this, and... Uh, just a little teaser, I'm pretty sure that definitely didn't only just change how I thought about Thor, but I think it definitely gave us a different side and some of the stuff that we're all wanting. Yep, So I agree. 
I just I just didn't want to mention any of that stuff. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I wasn't gonna mention any <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, no, I know. I. Yeah. Because yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Let's get into it. As always, you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Instagram and Twitter. Adrian. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at SuperEast93. S U P E R R U I Z ninety three. Matt. And you can find me on Twitter at datm18, D-A-T-T-M-1-8. I don't know how to exit this because I don't know what Thor's catchphrases are. Do the Beta Ray Bill rock song. Ooh, okay. Ooh, Only because it's the most hilarious yeah, thing that's ever. really good. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, Matt made that song up. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard Where the booming hell